When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can't solve COVID. I can throw myself down a flight of stairs and hope that it lets someone forget their troubles. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, Editor-in-Chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. Melissa McCarthy is one of the world's greatest and most innately talented performers. And it goes without saying, she's funny as beep. <laughs> I'm also thrilled to say she's on this month's cover. You're on Ladies First podcast. You know why? You know why? Is it because ladies are first? Because ladies are first. And because you are first in what you do. Oh. And it is, it is your absolute freakishly innate ability. And what I think about with you, along with so many other lovely, glorious things, is ability. And how... You are able to somehow physically, mentally, and everything digest a performance in a character that looks it looks like it just came out of you by magic. Well, that's nice. How was your 50th? Did you have a good one? It was great. I was with an amazing group of people. And uh, it was lovely because I was like, I'm here. I'm with people. I'm working. I'm in a safe place. So it was great. It was quiet. But lovely. I, I was so happy to have the whole family here that I was like, quiet is just fine. I'll take it. When I actually hear what's coming out of my mouth, it it is like a sedative. I'm like a talking human sedative. It's so boring. Like I, I should be telling like, oh boy, I got a zinger here. Instead of like, then we cooked dinner and then we watched a show. I mean, holy God, I'm nodding off. How did you feel when the New York Times named you one of the 25 greatest performers of the 21st century, Melissa McCarthy? I truthfully felt like my dad somehow was allowed to make the list. (laughs) I was like, Mike McCarthy made a list and lost his mind and put me on it. I mean, I still am always like, God, I hope I get another job at some point. So to see that list and be on it, I just, I couldn't process it beyond. They got to 19 and they're like, you know, let's call Mike McCarthy and see if he wants to throw somebody's name into a hat. And he's like, what about my daughter, Missy? Like, that's that's how it hit me. I was quite uh, shocked by it, for sure. Well, actually, your dad uh, put your name on it, Sonia, Sonia Braga. <laughs> oh, interesting, interesting. He's a, he's a big Sonia Braga fan. He really uh, is. That was I, She was first, and I was, like, his third choice. Obviously, it's weird, but what does that mean? Seeing how people see you from outside. I love what I do, but I don't think of myself in that way at all. 15 years ago, if you would have said like, oh, by the way, you and Ben are going to be able to write and make movies and like the dumb stories that we used to do, you know, on the stage at Groundlings Improv Theater in LA. It's like, you're now going to be able to do that same thing, but for like feature films. We would have been like, Really? Like, is that is that possible? I still slightly feel like we're putting on shows, 
you know, like our scrappy and just the way we do things still kind of feels very grassroots. I think of us as circus people that we just kind of travel around and we're putting on a show, but I don't think about it as like I would ever be put into that category. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I just, to getting getting an invite to a party where you're like, oh, I, I didn't know they knew I existed. <laughs> If I start to think about that stuff, I think you go slightly daffy. It's a strange one. I always think any of any uh, of my active friends is, is sort of this inside and outside of yourself. One, you're inside yourself as a person and outside yourself in a role. Yes. I always find it quite interesting when people say, you know, oh, but of course you have a public life. Why do people seem surprised you're an actor? But then when you think about it, at least how I perceive it, and I think I'm sure I'm not alone, I've chosen to be an actor. I'm quite happy with myself, but I also, I wouldn't know how to play myself. I'd be like, I, I, I don't know. Like my chosen profession is to completely remove myself and to step into the shoes of someone else. So it is the opposite of like, well, if you want to be an actor, you want to be known. And it's like, no, no, no. That's something that's been put on us. And I don't mind people saying hello. It's not that I'm like, oh, I hate that side of it. But it's a funny thing of, I went into acting because I find other people more interesting and I love delving out of myself and into someone else. So then when the when the light gets shown on myself as opposed to a character, it feels like it's off topic or something. Right, right. Speaking to your point, this is inside and outside of yourself. This is you going to a very reverent ritual, Hollywood ritual. You and Ben showed up in this. Can you just give me a quick, quick feeling about Explain this to me, this joyful moment. I'm sure it threw everybody in, into a tizzy because I think it was late, late afternoon, the day before the Oscars. And I was like, are people still changing for the party? Do we do that? And I went, can we wear matching tracksuits? <laughs> and someone was like, Meet for tomorrow? And all of a sudden I was like, I need to be in like tennies and like tracksuits. I'm like, uh, it just seems so funny to me and so and so comfortable. We walked into the after party and I have never been flipped off or told to fuck off as much as in that party. And it for somehow, but it was all done uh, jokingly, but also with some real thing behind it. Because everyone's like, I put on a different dress and different heels. Fuck you for being in that tracksuit. And I was like, I've never been more comfortable. I'm, I'm thriving right now. And literally, I just walked me. <laughs> some people I knew, some people I didn't know. And they just totally were like, Can you go fuck yourself right now. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go dance pretty hard right now. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't stand up because your feet hurt. Mm. And I think I was like, I, I don't know that next time I won't wear the tracksuit to the awards. Not that I'm saying I'll ever go again, but if I ever... Yeah, I'm lucky enough to partake in it. I think it's incumbent upon you <laughs> to, as one of the 21st century's great top 25 performers, it's incumbent and the New York Times expects it. <laughs> then it shall be so. So let's back, go back a bit. I just want to talk about the last year-ish, your sort of COVID experience, because you, uh, obviously this all happened to us in March. You left for Australia July-ish, right? Yes, I was in London rehearsing for Little Mermaid right when it was still in that moment where I remember, I remember I was with the lovely John and Rob, Rob Marshall, that are the amazing team that's that's doing Little Mermaid. 
And I remember we were still talking like, is this thing going to be a thing? That was the conversation of like, boy, something's going on. Do you think it's really going to go go anywhere else? This was like a Tuesday where we were still having that kind of conversation. I came into work Wednesday morning and went right to the office. And I was like, we need a flight home today and we have to get home or I'm not going to get home. I flew out that night and it was like the next day that they started just shutting everything down. I keep thinking about like if someone said a year ago that this would all be happening, we'd be like, hey, you seem kind of crazy. Like truly, if it was like, no, 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 it'll affect the world. And it will never, like, we'll never be the same again. I mean, I think you just would have been like, that can't happen. It's 2020. Yeah, and be like, oh, have you, would you think you should talk to someone? You'd be like rallying a group of friends to be like, so Diane's gone batshit. (laughs) How were you guys in the first, your family in the first few months of it? How were you with it? How were you with being at home and all that? My dad had gone home a little early and my mom was waiting for me to get home from London. So she got stuck there with us and she couldn't get home. And she stayed like five months with us, which was, I have to say, amazing. Yeah. Because I haven't lived with my mom every day since I was 18 years old. So to have that, to have that time with her again was unbelievable. I think we were all just upside down. It was the, the panic of how close, what do you have to wash? We had washing stations in our garage and we would leave things and you know we were like in hazmat suits i just remember scrubbing the outside of grapefruits like when it started with soap and water and then into like a vinegar bath because i was like we didn't know what was safe enough so the amount of scrubbing and cleaning was so crazy and ben's like are you cloroxing the outsides of the apple like should we be eating it how did it feel when you were then getting ready to pick up and leave to sort of land in Australia with all of this going on? We were supposed to shoot Nine Perfect Strangers in L.A. And obviously that wasn't going to happen. And they called one day and said, between like cleaning grapefruits and laundry and everything else you were doing and trying to teach my fifth grader, you know, algebra, which I was like, oh, it's been a minute. Um, which that was a real, I mean, I kind of weirdly loved it, but also it's like, oh God, I just didn't retain what I thought I had. Oh, it's gone. I got a call and they said, would you, would you think about going to Australia to Byron Bay to shoot this? My mom's there and like the kids are in different rooms on laptop, the dogs are like, I didn't. And I just went, are you, are you crazy? I can't pick up a family during a pandemic. I can't go down the street to a store. How do we possibly pack. And and I said, there's no possible way. That seems crazy. And then Vivian, my 13 year old came out so glazed over from sitting on a zoom class for lunch and I made her lunch. And I usually don't even bring up kind of work stuff with her, but for some reason we're outside. And I was like, I have the weirdest call. Somebody, somebody called and said like, do we want to move to Australia to do nine perfect strangers. And she didn't even take a beat. I don't even know that she looked up at me because she was so like in a zone from all that zoom class. And she went, we should leave today. We should leave today. And I was like, what? And she goes, we can't see friends. Is Australia not one of the safest places on the planet? 
we can't do anything here except sit in a room and like watch people. She goes, we should get on a plane and leave today. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And I walked into Ben and I said, Vivi says we should leave today. What are we doing here? And he was like, oh my God. So we called everybody back and I was like, yes, yes, we'll go to, yes. And that's how we went up. And I have to say landing, like the Sydney airport was empty, except for mil- military was there. It's really impressive that they're not uh, messing around here, which is why, why it's handled so safely. It's like for the good of all, everybody is restricted. And guess what, guys? It works. It, it works. just works. And that's why, that's why you are now in your, hang on, six, seven months? Yeah there you live there now totally <laughs> i was like i'm going to woolies and someone's like oh you say woolies for woolworths i was like i mean I'm, ben says how you going now i'm here for six seven more months uh we love it it's that long yeah we're staying at least until august ben wrote a show god's favorite idiot for netflix and we're gonna shoot it here what has it meant And how has it transformed or affected the way you think about your own mobility? It's just now like everything's possible and everything can feel like home. Like I am, I am so connected to Australia in a way that I didn't anticipate uh, in a way that I could very easily live here for the rest of my life. And, and I'm in love with it. I'm in love with the people. Everyone is so chatty. For like a Midwestern gal yeah. that lives in LA where no one, yeah. no one wants to talk to you or pretend five people standing in line, everyone's trying to pretend they don't see the other person. And I'm yeah. the weird girl from Illinois that's like, boy, today's hot, huh? <laughs> and they're just like, I I'm trying, I'm trying to not talk to anyone. And here it's like, I, you know, in the grocery store, I can't go down a single aisle with somebody just not like, here we are. Now we're talking about soup. I don't know why, but it's wonderful. Like anything that's on someone's mind, I, I come home and I'm like, I had 15 conversations at the grocery store. Yeah, you recognized often or do you can sort of go about? I'm always curious when you pick up and land somewhere else, you know? I'd say, you know, 60, 40. I think uh, right. a lot of times I'm recognized, but I think here there's a funny thing of, I think I'm recognized, but that has n- had nothing to do with why they're talking to me. We're both buying grapes and they're like, what do you think of these things? I'm like, okay. And then there's other times that someone was like, are you American? Are you working here? And I was like, oh, I, I am, you know, it's beautiful, blah, blah, blah. I feel so lucky. And she's like, good for you. Good for you. And she goes, now, do you find that, um, can you only do that kind of work or do you keep a couple of other jobs? And I was like, you know what? Recently, I, I can just do that. And she goes, oh, so you're talking on some of this. So do you get, do you get lines? And I said, I do. I do. I get, I get a couple of lines. You know, I was like, it's a perfectly reasonable question. And then I think the next time I came in to shed this beautiful little store, uh, next time I came in, I think the jig had been up, like wardrobe had been in, they'd shopped there. And I walked in, she goes, oh, Okay. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I was like, don't apologize. I don't apologize at all. I was like, why, why would you know who the hell I am? My people, <laughs> my people for the win. What, what's that? How's it been uh, for a family, for a parent uh, be, being there? Going from complete isolation, fear, fear of being sick, fear of 
just your own country turning on itself. It's, I mean, I've said this whole time. I said, I know COVID-19 is the virus, but the real virus that scares me is, is the violence and the hatred. If anything's going to really going to extinguish us as a, as a, as a species, it's that, you know, we, we follow all of these rules for the good of the majority. We, we stop at red lights. We pull over for ambulances. You can't start a bonfire in your living room in an apartment building. As much as you've tried. As much as I've tried. And I've paid all the fines. But it's like all we do a million things a day. So I don't know why this has become the turning point. And you know it has nothing to do with this three by five piece of cloth on our face. If somebody said, hey, oh my God, we can cure cancer. All you have to do is wear this head wrap and you can, people would be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like we would do anything for that. And saying like, we have a way to make, you know, what is it? 97% chance go away. If you just wear this little three by five piece of fabric until we figure it out and how that's become an infringement on someone's rights and political and all of that stuff. I just think you know, maybe I live in the world in my head, but I was like, I think the scariest thing about all of this, more so than even COVID, is that I really truly didn't think people hated each other that much or hated people that they don't even know or hate the idea of just hate, hate the idea of people that they don't even know. I think the next 10 years of our lives have to be spent on figuring out why people are so angry and and also checking on the mental illness. I mean, the whole QAnon thing, it's like, if you would have said that, that it's like pizzas are, are eating babies and then they're going to Mars and coming back. And it's, you know, I mean, it might as well be that it's, it's, it's so far. Yeah. And there's lasers involved. There's always lasers. And I want to get mad and I do get mad and you get incredulous about how insane it is. And at the same time, I always say, but who's going to help people if you've lost any sense of reality? We can't just get mad. We have to help people get mentally healthy again. But at the same time, it's, it pisses you off. We've got quite a mess ahead of us because people need help. They're not just wrong. They need help. And because there's such hideous things are happening, it pushes your limits of your of empathy and understanding. Of course it does. But how did you feel watching the inauguration and seeing some semblance of civility? So I was, of course, you know, watching it in Australia. I was, I had missed part of it because it had happened while we were sleeping. And I just got up and I, first thing I was, very nervous to go online or turn on any coverage. I went to like CNN or something because I was afraid of what possibly could have happened. And then just to see that it was there, people were doing it safely. There was kindness. It was the first time that I felt like I could be proud, like at least on the cusp of being proud again to be, to be an American and just seeing how people treated each other and see people talking. I kept thinking that um, the first lady, Jill, just every time somebody passed, you, she's chatting and laughing. And, and I was like, it's just hu- common decency and humanity that people are chatting and truly like connecting with each other. And it, I mean, we watched it with the kids. I cried. I mean, I cried at everything. I cried at JLo. <laughs> I cried at Gaza. Yeah. Like everybody made me cry. Cause I was like, it just all felt so 
important. I can't tell you how many Aussies I talked to that the day of the inauguration, they're like, oh God, you know, it's such a relief. Like everybody felt this sense of like, maybe it's going to be okay because it wasn't when something crumbles, especially democracy just being crumbling. I think everybody did really feel like, what's to say it's not us next? Like, can you write the ship? And Australians were as nervous and as emotional as we were. It's a trauma. Yeah, it's a trauma, it's a trauma for everybody on very different levels. I don't think people were necessarily dancing in the streets on Inauguration Day because it was just a bit like, okay. Yeah. Or, all right. It's, it's, I think, you know, softly, softly. Yeah, I think it's going to take years to get back and, and to be like, is it okay to speak up? I don't think I ever thought as an ordinary person that you would fear retaliation from your day-to-day activities or simply just believing what you believe in. And even when it's pretty fair in the middle, like I'm not an extreme person. And I think me just saying like, can't we all just be kind to each other? Like when that gets a like, fuck you lady, you have to be like, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. How does it affect, because I think, you know, we've talked about this before, like as a performer, the, 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 the glory and joy and value of pure entertainment, you know what I mean, for people. How has it seeped into your mind as a performer in what you're choosing to do and what you want to reflect through what you do? The world's tough on comedy right now. And not to be like, critics don't like us, but critics are so hard on it. And, and it's okay. You don't have to like, you don't have to like what I do, or you don't have to like comedy. But I always think as a reviewer or these, you know, there's so many critics now that I'm like, did you study film or acting or anything? But uh, it's like being a food critic. And I only like incredibly spicy food. Right. It's like, well, it's like loving spicy food. Does that make you a food critic? You have to be able to eat things even you don't like and go, it's not my favorite thing, but boy, they really did it well or whatever. But in this particular moment in the world, I just think to bash comedies, I'm like, listen, I watch a lot of murder. I love murder documentaries. I go down terrible wormholes. But I also think you need to be able to make fun of yourself. You need to be able to laugh at something. And not, not just meaning what we I make or Ben and I make, but you know, in terms of what I want to try to put out into the world, Ben and I talk about it a lot, that it's like, will this make somebody happy? Will this make somebody at the end of an 18-hour shift in the OR, can they just check out and, and laugh for you know an hour? I can't solve COVID. I can't make things better. I can't make all these angry people better. It's the, the one thing we can try to do and we try to do it our best. And like, maybe I can just help someone get the stupidest giggle or just forget their troubles for if it's, it's a half hour, whatever it is. I take that kind of as like, that's my job to do. I can throw myself down a flight of stairs and hope that it lets someone forget their troubles. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, 
their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown, and Melissa McCarthy, God's gift to humor. You are really good at throwing yourself around. Are you still as keen to throw yourself around as you were? Or are you like, oh, maybe I should, you know, watch my elbow? I'm a little more hesitant than I ever was. My initial thought to anything is like, oh, I'll do it. And they're like, just walk through it. Don't actually fall down. I'll be like, absolutely. And then when I do the rehearsal, I will always throw myself down. And everybody goes, we just talked about this. I'm like, I know, I know, but I wanted to like, I wanted to see if, I just wanted to figure something out. I am better at it because about 10 years ago, a stunt woman said, you're going to regret this. You are going to feel like a stunt woman, an older stunt woman at some point, and you will regret it. And I was like, no, I love it. I love it. And now I'm like, ooh, I've hurt myself enough places where I have to spend all week kind of being like, I mean, I never thought I'd be like, I really have to work on my hips. When you guys sometimes do your, your Instagram with the beer. Yes. And it's either Ben on the, having <laughs> his own beer or you come in the back with the beer. Yes. Or you're somehow heard with a beer or we just feel you with a beer. Yes, feel confident. I'm always close by with a beer, beer o'clock. When did you realize that beer o'clock was your Instagram currency? Yeah, Ben started that. I didn't even know he <laughs> was know. doing it. He was doing it for a while, and all of a sudden, he just does weird stuff and will never mention it. Like, he'll write a whole script and be like, can you read this? And I think he's giving me a paragraph, and he's like, I wrote a book. I'm like, what? But he was doing all these weird beer o'clocks, and I was like, why are you doing this? And he's like, because I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> and then we both started doing it, and then and then the... As COVID and the the quarantine kept going, we realized it was it kept getting progressively earlier. <laughs> I remember one was had it even struck twelve, or it was about to strike twelve, mm, or there sure. was a pan to like eleven forty five or something. <laughs> <laughs> I support you. Okay, wait. Like one of the last times I saw you, we had dinner, yes, and you had come from a costume body scan thing for one Thunder Force. Oh, I remember you loved that. <laughs> I mean, anytime you can stand in a nude capizio and have people scan your body, that's when you know you're living. And it's like, hi, nice to meet you, Carl. Yes, this is actually me in a, it's not see-through, but it's not, it's not opaque. It has to be nude. I it can't, it, can I wear like a darker color one? And they're like, no, that's good. And you just stand there like this. Iron Horse makes all of these unbelievable. They make all the big, crazy superhero outfits and they really are. It's completely different construction. It's different fabrics. It's so complicated and amazing. So I'm in there and there's a huge machine you walk into and cause they do it all the time and it takes like 15 seconds. And it's like, we have three 3,500 pictures of your body. We can now rebuild you. And I always say I'm technology poison. And I heard somebody go, Oh my God. Oh my God, what's happened? And I heard all this like hubba, 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 hubba. 
And everybody's running around this machine. They're like, this has never happened. We've had it for eight years. The, mach- the machine just broke down. And people that are with me that know me are like, what did you do? What did you do? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And instead of doing this thing for 15 seconds, it's like, we're going to do it old school. And it was people that just had to keep taking pictures of every oh, no. square inch of my body. And so that took about 45 minutes. So instead of being like, okay, rip the bandaid off, take the pictures. <laughs> I'm out of here in 15 seconds. They're like, this is going to take almost an hour. And I'm like, <laughs> with me just standing in a nude capizio, they're like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. New York Times, 25 top performers of the 21st century. <laughs> but have you seen your capizio work? What, maybe I can get a Capizio campaign. <laughs> <gasps> Plant that seed. Oh, I'm dropping it right now. How, what was it like? I'm, again, you and Octavia have known each other for so 20 something years. 20 years. And, and what was it like to be able to do this together, to be like, all right, we're going to be superheroes? And how much have you both changed as performers and everything over that time? I mean, yeah, we've known each other for, oh my God, a quarter of a century, maybe. Ooh, I've never said that. That's awful. That's that won't be repeated ever. I mean, yes, she's one of the most incredibly gifted actresses on the planet. It's a given. People know that. I think people don't know. She's also one of the most brilliant. She just always knows like the most thoughtful right thing to say. And it's right from her heart. It's not like, ooh, she can really write a turn of phrase. She speaks right from her soft, chewy heart. And she's also the funniest pre- person on earth. And everybody, it's just, everybody loved her. Even though I know her so well, getting to act with Octavia, is just when you're, when you get to be with somebody who is that skilled and effortless at it, it's like, it's a real gift. And it's lucky for the crew that she was there because you're a famous <laughs> asshole. It's really true. I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> My key question on Thunder Force is if you were, Eminem, if you were to assemble your own Thunder Force in 2021, who would be on it? Fauci, Michelle Obama, who else? I'm trying to think of super smart, uh, like Bill Gates, but then also like James Corden's fun. Somebody's got to keep it light. <laughs> uh, Kristen Wiig, she'll make the world better. I think that list would keep going for like, uh, my my children, my family, uh, all the people I'm, I'm going to be murdered if I don't say. But well, hey, it's ten years, ten years since bridesmaids. Bridesmaids. Oh my god! Holy! Well, exactly. How do you feel to hear to hear this? Oh my god! I didn't. I don't think I realized that. I have to say that was one of the most incredibly joyful. There's people laughing and crying, full out in almost every scene. I think everybody felt so free and there wasn't a lot of pressure. Annie and Kristen were just like, do whatever. Like they're so open to everything that it just allowed everyone to kind of do their best work. And the fit was just like, it was just perfect. Like how everybody fit into their little puzzle piece. But it's it's really just, it's aged like a fine wine. Have you watched it lately? Have, have you happened upon it? At any I time haven't watched recently? it. Not recently. You should give it a go. It's, it's, it's good. <laughs> okay, we do this. Thing. It's called Ten Firsts. 
What was your first ever acting gig? First ever acting gig was in high school. I can't remember the play, but I played a cheerleader and I was a cheerleader and I found that incredibly boring. And I was like, I wish I could have been the old woman. Why didn't you want to be a cheerleader? It's every girl's dream. <laughs> no, then I went super gothic the next year and just went to dance clubs downtown Chicago with like a mohawk. So things changed. <laughs> <laughs> you evolved. Yes. Uh, what was your first stand-up gig? Stand up, stand up, New York, New York City, 20 years old. Absolutely no preparation. Zero. So do you remember anything, what you led with? I, I did long stories. I, I didn't really do jokes. And I also just improvised it all. I didn't know I was supposed to write stuff because I was 20 and an idiot. I remember it starting strangely because I kept talking about having so much money in Manhattan and being so beautiful, kind of the burden of being so rich so incredibly wealthy in Manhattan. And that comes, that comes with a burden. And people were just like, who the fuck is this 20 year old dingbat? And then I was like walking in and being the height I am, I'm immediately noticed when you are always the tallest person in the room. And then they were like, oh, she's bullshit. She's saying everything she's not, but delusionally as if I really thought I was so pretty. It was like all nonsense, but I remember the feeling of having people be like, get her off stage. And then I was like, oh, I'll let them know now before they really hate me that I'm just bullshitting. And the feeling, the relief that I felt and like, and when people actually laughed at that, I was like, I just literally thought, oh my God, if I can somehow con the world to make this a job and to make people, you know, at least try to laugh, I've, I've, you know, that's it. There was no going back at that first night. I was like, Oh, I'm cooked. Like, that's it. Okay. First big break. You know what? Go is the first ah, movie yeah. that I was in that the, uh, the amazing Jennifer Coolidge, I didn't know her. She didn't really know me. She was in the company. She was always working. I couldn't figure out how to get an agent. And um, she called the casting director for go and said, you should see Melissa McCarthy. And then they called just my house because I didn't have an agent. And I went in and I, I got that part. And that was, that was my first movie. Coolidge didn't know me. She just did something completely kind for somebody else. And she always goes, every time that gets brought up, she goes, oh, I didn't do anything. I didn't even do, I'm like, no, I never would have gotten that audition. I, I, there's no possible way for me to get to it. Oh, just what a, what a legend. Okay. First, first SNL skit you were in. I think the first one was with Kristen with her tiny hands and we were doing a singing number and they had put giant prosthetic, like muscle arms on me. And I just remember I was trying to heart so hard not to laugh. And I couldn't believe I was with Kristen. I was at SNL. And literally, I was just like, if I wake up in a coma, I'm going to be like, it's okay. I had the best time while I was out. <sighs> Against all odds. Okay. <laughs> first, first time you felt like a successful actor. When I lived in New York in my 20s, I lived with Brian Atwood and we were one building over on the third floor walk up from Joe Allen's, which is a restaurant that, you know, everybody after the theater goes there. And I uh, never went inside. 
because I was like, I'm not an actor. I can't go inside Joe Allen's and tell him an actor. I can't do it. Like, it's, it's not for me yet. And it was so silly. We lived there like at least a year. And it wasn't until years later, I said, I was like, I'm ready. I'm going to go to Joe Allen's. I'm like, and then I remember getting there and like, there's my old apartment. There was where the, the pimp who also was a heroin dealer lived right below us. And then I do remember when I walked in, I was like, oh, it's like a pub. <laughs> this whole time? I, I thought, I just thought it was going to be more like, you know, something from like Auntie Mae. And then we had like a burger or something. I was like, eh, okay. <laughs> First on-screen kiss. I would have to say it must have been Gilmore, probably with Jackson, I would think. How was it? Great. He's a real sweetheart. He, it's always so weird because it's like you're friends with the person and, and it becomes like a mechanical thing. When was the first time you owned your shit professionally? I think once we started making our own movies. I think also on, on Mike and Molly realizing that like I had a position to either make things better for everyone and I had the mouth big enough to do it or nobody else was in a spot where they could take the risk and I realized part of my good fortune was also I have to I have to take the fall and take the risk where other people can't stand up I think you can only do that if you completely are aware that you are you are responsible for everybody I'd rather take the extra work and know that we're including everybody and everybody feels valued than just kind of scooting through the day. Well, that's ownership, isn't it? And that's what you do. That's what you work towards. I take it as a, a huge gift when I see something that I don't think is okay and that I can actually go and change it. It's an amazing thing to be able to have. You know, Ben and I always say, we're, like, we want to show show the show the world we want to be a part of. And then I feel like everybody feels ownership in that. And you're like, that feeling of group accomplishment when you like you go to work and whatever it is you do, whatever you make. If you're, it's about not being like I can do it alone. It's me. I'm like, no, no, no. We need. I need everyone. I like the feeling of like a group victory. So you and Ben have been running a cult for a, num yes. a number of yes, years. Yes, I'd love to talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> I got your flyer. Oh, good, good, good. Okay, I'll get, I'll, I'm just going to wire you the money tonight. Yeah, if you just can give me your bank routing number, uh, we'll be off to the okay, races. Okay, 681. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> ben. Okay, first drink you order. Glenlivet with a lot of rocks and water. Okay. Lastly... Lastly, what do you think you'll do when you come back to the United States where you're ostensibly from? I'm going to just squeeze the bejesus out of my dogs that I miss very much. Oh, God, yeah. They're there with my cousin. They could care less. She lets them on the couches now. Like, I, I, I've lost all control. I'm going to go see my mom and dad and my sister. And I, I literally just can't wait to, like, squeeze my friends and see people in person. I want that energy back in the States to feel better again. No, but I should also say this. Melissa McCarthy. Yes. You're the best. Thank you for the person you are, the gifts that you have, how unselfconsciously and warmly and kindly that you share them. And also, you're on our cover that's out. Thanks, mate. Thank you. I miss you. I can't wait to actually see you in person. 
Give yourself a squeeze for me and uh, take take care of my country and I'll take care of yours. Which sounds more like a threat than it wasn't supposed to. <laughs> it sounded real threatening. I don't know what got into me. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Savarese, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99.